Questions from the community, part two. Hello and welcome to another Alien RPG special where we answer more of your questions. Once again, my good friend Chris will be sharing his thoughts and expertise on the game. Hi Chris. Howdy. How are we doing? Not bad. Good to have you back again. So let's just dive straight into it. George Reeks contacted us on the Alien Facebook group from memory. And apologies for taking so long getting around to your question, George. But he asks, please, can we have the next episode about designing encounters, missions, and maps? So maybe look at encounters first of all, then, and take it in the order that he's <laughs> set out. <laughs> yeah. So what's your, th- what's your thoughts then about designing an, an encounter for the Alien RPG? It's a good question. I take a lot of inspiration in things from various film and TV, books, comics, things like that. That's usually where I start from encounter points of view. It doesn't necessarily need to be alien lore. It can be other other sci-fi things that are out there. And basically I'll get a, an idea together for that. And from there it would just be a case of trying to put something together that's a bit challenging for your players. Yeah, so you're meaning like action set pieces from films? I suppose things like, well, the alien films obviously themselves with those, yeah. those set pieces, but also other, you could take other films as inspiration. I remember when I was running Star Wars, for example, I took the mine carp chase from Indiana Jones and transposed that into Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah you can do things like that all, all over the place, I think. that's Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, that gives you a good kind of idea for an encounter or an event to happen in your games. And from there, it's up to you to kind of translate that into a an alien environment kind of setting. So yeah, that's that's usually where I, I start because people see these things and it's like a lot of fun to watch. So if they can get some of that kind of feeling back and when they're playing their game, that's, that's something I try to do. So once you've decided on your, on your set piece? Yeah, next thing's your enemies that they're going to be facing or creatures or monsters or infections, whatever it is that you're trying to do. I know... In the, the rule book, there, there aren't that many monsters for you to throw at them. It's like Compared to things like Dungeons & Dragons, where you've got a, a whole book dedicated to creatures and villains and all that that you can throw at your players, you're very limited to, especially in a campaign setting, you don't want to be throwing aliens at them every week. So I, I try to come up with some of my own stats and things like that for like rogue androids and like working joes we've mentioned before in the past. Based it on what's in the book there, where you've got the table for attacks and all that, and I, I based it off of things that I'd seen in the Alien Isolation video game, like the kind of attacks that they do in that to the player. I tried to translate that into an RPG setting. But then again, you don't know how that's going to work when it comes to actually doing it. You might have made it too lethal. So again, I'm quite abstract when I'm GMing these sort of things, and I'll dial it back if I, if I think it's getting out of hand <laughs> too quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think the difficulty of an encounter is really important. You definitely want to do something that's going to challenge the players. Yeah. But you don't. You also don't want to make it too overpowered that it's impossible for them. So certainly trying to balance the, the threat to what the, the strengths of the party are is, is a tricky... Yeah. It's a delicate business. <laughs> Especially at the start of a campaign and it's a new system for you. You don't... You're not too familiar with how things will play out. Yeah. So start the threats low, which is kind of in tune with what we were saying before in relation to campaign, mm-hmm. like building it slowly. So yeah, and we said as well, try and hold off with the alien as long as you possibly can yeah. before you start revealing it. On the point of the alien 
obviously when you encounter an alien or, or any of the monsters in the book, they're all pretty powerful. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, very, very powerful. Unless they're in their kind of juvenile state, then they are a little bit more manageable. But still, yeah, don't be throwing hundreds of them <laughs> at them. Yeah. I mean, the problem would be if, if you started a campaign, I suppose, a bit like the first encounter in Aliens, where they walk right into the hive yeah. and they're encountering loads of them. That's fine in the film, but as a GM, you're leaving yourself with nowhere to go with the creatures because you've you've already you know thrown a hole. Yeah, it's like your ace, you've played it. <laughs> exactly. And on top of that, particularly if it's the start of a campaign, your party's pretty likely to be wiped out, which is fine if that's what you want. I personally don't like seeing that happen. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so either save them for the, the kind of end of things. It's like Dungeons and Dragons again. You wouldn't throw a dragon at your players every week. You don't want that. That's the end goal. So, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking as well was perhaps putting something in the environment for the characters to interact with that might be able to help them in the in the situation. Covers the, obviously the most obvious example. It's something, you know, maybe some, it sticks in my head. There's a bit in Aliens where... Ripley walks under a, a pipe which is kind of it's red hot and hissing with steam. Something like that might be a handy if you had something like that in your yeah in your encounter, the, the zone where you're going to encounter things. Players might, if you had that there and mentioned it was there, they might like shoot it so that if the alien was approaching it, then blasts this red hot steam in its face and chasing it off. That would be an example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have have other options for them there to use other than like what the weapons are carrying, things like that. Because a lot of them will be useless against things like aliens, and even some of the the creatures in the book, like the the harvesters, these big, massive kind of termite type creatures. Like a pistol's not going to do much damage to it. So yeah, definitely have some other things around is is beneficial. I would also maybe add to that if the players come up with a suggestion, try to roll with it. Yeah, yeah, we've had that a couple of times. Yeah, because we came <laughs> up with the well, it was, it was my character when the the harvester creature was attacking them. My character was happened to be on the ship when he was playing music. Mm-hmm. I just did that as a joke, really, because my character was out of the action. That when they tried to contact him, the ship he was listening to kind of heavy rave music. <laughs> but it actually became something that was handy because we then asked, well, how. How are these communications going through? And I think you said that we had watches on that were broadcasting. I said, well, can we turn it up? And um, mm-hmm. you went with that idea, and it meant they took the watch off and threw it across the, the ground away from where, where they were, and the harvester went after the sound. Because I think we worked out that it was sound that they were keen in. And... Yeah, they were using kind of echolocation and things like that. Yeah. And didn't have any eyes that you could see, so it was kind of... It was the vibrations and things that were feeling. Yeah. So yeah, I that was another. Yeah, go with what your if there's anything your players suggest like that that doesn't seem too far fetched. Yeah, go with it. No, definitely. So hopefully that covers designing encounters. So try and make it challenging, but not overpowered. Try and limit the number of monsters because they're really powerful in this system and give them something to interact with. And yeah, sorry, your other point was to dial it back. If you feel that the party's getting overwhelmed, then try and do something about that. I mean, there there is precedent for that in the films because, okay, in Aliens, when they they interact with the Hive for the first time, the Aliens seem to pursue them. But in the original Alien, and I think in Alien 3, there's times where the Alien just seems to, it could run amok, but it just backs off. There's a point yeah. point that really sticks in my head is Ripley when she's got the cat and she kind of almost runs right into the Alien. Yeah. And for some reason... It's kind of toying with her. (laughs) 
Yeah, just lets her back off. So yeah, I think you've got license there within canon, if you like, that you can do that. that yeah. you can dial that that back down. I mean, and that definitely helps build a bit of tension as well. Like having the creature that you know has just maybe killed one of your friends, or you've seen it murder someone, and then it gives you mercy and disappears again, and you know it's still out there. So yeah, that that helps kind of build that kind of horror element back in as well, which is good. Good stuff. Okay, um, so I'm moving on then to designing missions. Mm-hmm. So do you have any thoughts on that, or do you want me to share my thoughts on that? It's up yeah, to you, you, you share your thoughts, and I'll chime in. <laughs> I think probably the first thing you want to do is to work out what the mission is. Mm-hmm. And once you work out what the mission is, then write out a kind of clear synopsis of it, or piece of dialogue. I, I tend to do that quite a lot. I'll write sections of dialogue that I'll read in character as an NPC during the game. Uh, where I set out the mission, so if you're a colonial marine, you'll be told, right, there's a, a problem in this colony, so you better go there, and this is what we want you to achieve in that, we want you to defuse the tensions, or we want you to, you know, if there's a rogue group, we need you to go in and neutralise them, that kind of thing. Space truckers, it's usually jobs, isn't it, they're given? Yeah, that's the one I was, I ran for use, sorry. And it was always like that. It was either like a company email or notice, or given to you by your boss, basically in person. So yeah, having someone there to deliver the mission to the, the players and tell them what they're actually wanting them to do. Yeah, and it applies to the colonists one as well, because you would have your colony leader. Yeah, it's, you'd have a superior somewhere. You would say, right, we need you to go and investigate this, or we've got a problem with this. And yeah, so getting that mission aim clear in your own head and then making it clear to the players, I think, is really important. Yeah. Obviously, we mentioned about NPCs there, I think. You should never forget that this is a role-playing game, so I think you should always look for a balance of at least 50-50 of the session being about role-playing and 50% action. I would say even more on yeah. the role-playing side, depending on... Probably more, yeah. Because like the monsters and things like that are so few, especially for a, like a space trucking setting or colony, you're not going to be coming up against creatures all the time. So, yeah, having some interesting NPCs to interact with and get a good bit of, as you say, roleplay between the players and between those characters. And that can be fun for the GM as well, making up these silly characters and stereotypes and things like that. (laughs) I mean, personally speaking, I found myself as a GM that I tend to enjoy extreme characters. I think they're more fun. I think the players, the thing that's good about extreme characters is that they tend to stick in the players' heads. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I had like a kind of master manipulator that was in the Star Wars campaign that was, the players really, really hated him, which was great because, <laughs> because uh, it, it meant they, they were desperate to kill this guy. They were really, really into it because I'd made them just so horrible and uh, kind of creepy. <laughs> but I think you can do all sorts of things. Obviously, there's a lot of kind of crazy religions in Alien that it does yeah. refer to. And yeah. I think you could have real, you know, if you think of the, extremists of you know some various religions i'm, I'm thinking more about the you know, crusades and yeah these kind of people were just oh, zealots yeah zealots <laughs> that would burn witches and things like that i think characters like that would fit in fine in the universe in the alien universe yeah space madness yeah yeah <laughs> i mean obviously i'd say that the first film's a bit more realistic than that but 
actually thinking a role-playing game because, and especially if you're playing online, like probably most people are now because of the current pandemic, then I think from a GM's point of view, you're actually limited to a certain degree as well because it depends how you're playing it. We don't use video, we just use audio. So I think you've got to do more as a voice actor in that because the players can't <laughs> yeah. your facial expressions and removes a whole layer from your acting as a GM. Some ways that it makes you relax a bit more about it because you're not <laughs> physically do it as well. But I, it's got pros and cons. I would say it's got more cons than pros to put it that way. Yeah. From that side of things. But yeah, I think making the characters more extreme and then if you can use accents and so on to differentiate them, I think that helps as well. Yeah. I, that's something I always struggle with. I always default into one kind of accent. <laughs> it, it, it morphs as it goes along. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned it in another podcast. I also had the same problem when I've been running Judge Dredd recently because that is set in America and I find it hard to come up with different... I've got the Southern accent going, that seems to be... It's the Southern accent and then a generic American accent seems to be the two that I have, but which isn't very good. Mine's just the Boston... <laughs> Boston New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons as well that I'm quite looking forward to doing Alien because I'm setting it with the three world empire so that means i can use more of the british accents if you like a variation of accents that i'm a bit more familiar with and i find a bit easier to do so yeah the npcs are really really important for the game giving the characters something to bounce off each other the book as well gives you a whole load of like made up kind of npc character types so it's you've got loads of stats there so you don't need to be sitting rolling up all these characters you just maybe add a new name to them in a picture and then come up with your persona for them things like that so it does help you a wee bit there and also the npcs can be backstabbers as well you can sometimes of course i well the next section we're coming on to well the next tip i would say about designing missions is to have a twist in place and npcs can be source of that twist sometimes i think whatever the twist is it doesn't really have to be massive it can be a really big thing where it's like it changes everything for the players and and those are great when you can do them that when you can pull something really big that just knocks everything on its head it's difficult to do though especially in a kind of sandbox game <laughs> i find because you like you've got the unpredictability of what your players are going to do but in a mission setting, it's a lot easier because you are kind of railroading them slightly. We're giving them this task to do, and they need to achieve this goal. So, you, like you, you can you're able to throw something in there, a curveball, a little bit easier. Yeah, but you can also mitigate that to a certain degree by having settings that the, the players can explore. If it's a colony, they can go to different areas in the, the colony and interact with different NPCs if you've got them in place. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's full railroad, but yeah, I agree with you that most missions, if you like, have a point A, point B, C, possibly D at most, I would say, in a given mission. So yeah, there is a railroad aspect to that, but yeah, I think you can muddy the waters a bit and quite successfully so that players don't feel that they're being led through the, the maze by the GM. Totally. That, I mean, that's part of being a GM as well. You want to try and put a lot of what seems like variation in there, but there's always going to be your key objectives and the, the road to getting there. Yeah. And the twist can be an unexpected obstacle, something that they just didn't think would be there. Something appears that it's, makes it difficult to do what it is. If you're trying to deliver something to some other area of the galaxy, for example, there might be like pirates attack the ship, which just wasn't expected at all. It's not particularly to do with what, what the mission in hand is, but it does mean that the players are going to struggle to achieve their mission, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
only overcome that obstacle, basically. Yeah. In order to achieve their goal and get paid at the end of the day. Yeah, or a, or a puzzle as well would be another example, something. Yeah, or even a, a revelation. Maybe what the company sent them out to do is something of their doing. You know what I mean? Something that's quite shocking that they didn't expect to happen. Yeah, no, definitely. So twists can come in all shapes and sizes. So that's, that, that's all I would say to fellow GMs, that it doesn't need to be the usual suspects if, if anybody knows that film reference <laughs> doesn't have to be a massive massive thing it can be small things you know i think the twist with ash and the original alien is quite a good one yeah it's important to the film but it, overall it doesn't actually really affect the story so in some ways it's not actually a big deal but things like that yeah the other thing i would say is obviously with the stress mechanic in the game I'm assuming that when you planned your adventures you, you probably planned moments for the team to, to suffer stress points yeah, totally. I write like a list of things that could happen if I feel I need to add them in, like finding a gruesome dead body somewhere mangled, or uh, like something like falling out of the, like a grate falling out the ceiling, but there's nothing actually there. Just giving you that kind of like, oh shit, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> in a moment, but yeah, that's a lot of the things in the game build stress naturally anyway, like pushing rolls and certain attacks and things like that from creatures or other players or things that happen but it's good to have like a little something extra in the bag just if you feel it needs it well that's what i was actually going to ask you so when you're in that situation where you're designing a, a mission and obviously you're saying that some of the stress is built into the system when you start pushing rolls so do you have a kind of set number like do you have i don't know three six nine whatever number of if you like scares in the game things that will you know will definitely inflict stress in the players or is it not as simple as that no not for me it's not as simple as that like i'll i'll just write a like maybe three or four little extras in there and in my mission that i've wrote up for the week or scenario but yeah i don't have anything set in my mind for that like any set number i'm like i've said before i'm quite abstract with these things and i'll just throw things in if i feel like it needs it <laughs> yeah, if there's not been enough stress and tension so far. Yeah. If we're, if we're feeling relaxed. If you're feeling too relaxed, I, I don't want that happening. <laughs> it happens too often, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, like I said, it naturally occurs in the game through the mechanics and things like that. It's kind of designed that way. Yep. Um, but it's definitely good to have something extra in there if you feel you need it. Yeah, so descriptions of horrible... yeah horrible scenes or maybe there's a tear in their spacesuit and the oxygen's running out and they start to panic. Yeah, that's a good one. Things like that. And in good old-fashioned jump scares that you see in oh, yeah. traditional films. And well, in fact, you see them in the Alien films. There's quite a few points where they, there's wee jump scares where you know, when Newt jumps out, it doesn't have to be the actual... Aye. It doesn't have to be a threat, yeah. It can just be, like I said, like a grate falling off the ceiling or something or a pipe bursting. <laughs> <laughs> the one that used to get me an alien was uh, when Ripley's looking for the, the cat. The chair spins around for no apparent reason. <laughs> the cat jumps in, that always made me jump for, for years. Yeah. One that always got me, it's, it wasn't alien, but it was um, in Jaws. Uh, with all the, oh, the, the head. The head falling out in Ben Gardner's boat. Yeah. <laughs> that always got me as a kid. And it still gets me to this day. Which yeah. genius. I remember I went to see um, Jaws in the cinema. It was like a, a few years ago they, they put it on in the cinema in Glasgow. And 
there was people there that obviously hadn't seen it before because when that moment happened, everybody kind of screamed in the cinema. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so yeah, don't underestimate the jump scare. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, a cheap thing these days in horror films. Um, yeah. But it's, it works very well when the, the role playing came in and you should never ignore that, the chance to do anyone in those, I think. I think it's always good to... Yeah, totally. A wee slam of the table as well with your, your hand to kind of give yeah. the players a jolt also yeah. nicely. That's difficult to do online now. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can still do it. Just shout. <laughs> you hear that? It's not. It doesn't have the same impact. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the stress element. You should definitely plan for some stress to be doled out. Um, the players will rack it up themselves by pushing rolls, but you should also have a couple of ones in there definitely yeah the environment can offer a lot of opportunities for stress like i mentioned with maybe the, a spacesuit having a tear in it or like they catch it on on the wall or something or a, a loose bit of raggy metal i imagine that would be quite a stressful situation thinking you're going to suffocate <laughs> yeah no, definitely even like a, a hostile alien environment on a planet like ice world something like that yeah there's, there's all sorts of things you can use it doesn't have to always be a dead body no definitely the other thing i would say is yeah obviously you want the mission to slowly build as we much as in line with what we said about campaign design but within the mission build it slowly and then once you start ratcheting up the tension with the stress increasing you then want to have you know maybe a, a big set piece at the end as we were mentioning about with the encounters yeah a nice satisfying piece of action which should act as a crescendo to the to the session if you can yeah it's not always possible because sometimes your missions will run across you know two or three sessions so it's not always the case but certainly whatever the kind of arc is for your mission overall i would say that you should always have something that's a bit of a same as it is in most films usually there's a big set piece at the very end which you know is to makes the audience cheer if they overcome it yeah I like to try and treat each kind of mission that I gave you as like a, a mini kind of cinematic version of the game. Taking the same kind of elements, as you say, have have it split into the beginning, middle and end, basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just try and work it like that. I'm sure you'll be fine. And then obviously at the end, once you've resolved whatever that final encounter is, take some moments at the end of the session. Don't just go, well, well done, that's it. See you next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give the, the players a you know a few moments to talk over what happened and what they do to get back to the ship or back at the space station or the base, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Give them a bit of time to enjoy their success or wallow in their failure. And if that's if somebody died during the mission or a couple of them died, yeah, and give them a chance to to reflect in any of that. And you know, it's possible as well that at the end of a mission, players might have ideas about what they want to do next and let them voice that stuff and yeah totally that's and you can use it that's something that i always done was try to gauge what you were wanting to do like what your characters were wanting to do at the end yeah of a mission or an encounter kind of thing like where do you want to go and it'll help help you write the next part of the story yeah and, and at the end of a mission you work out from the players what it is they want to do next either in character have their characters say that they want to do X, Y, or Z in the next mission. Or you can do it out of character, where if you're not sure what it is that the players want to do, you just say, right, for the next session, I'm just thinking ahead, is there anything in particular you want to do? Yeah. 
and a lot of occasions they will say no there's not they're just happy to continue as well in which case you just create whatever mission you want or if they, if there's something in particular they want to do then then you're the one with the mission you're, you're <laughs> the one that's <laughs> you're the one that's got to kind of put something together for them yeah. and try and make something out of that i mean obviously if you're a really sneaky gm as i think most of us are <laughs> if you are a gm you're usually a sneaky person in the first place <laughs> You watch what you're saying. You're accusing everyone here of being sneaks. <laughs> All right. I shouldn't judge everybody by my own standards and yours. <laughs> but yeah, you, you would probably deliberately plant something in the mission for them to follow up on if you were. Yeah. Little breadcrumb. Yeah, a little breadcrumb. But then it makes the players feel like it was their idea in the first instance, which is which is why I say it's sneaky, because <laughs> you've put something in the mission that's an, an unresolved thread, if you like, something they want to follow up. And then, so at the end of the session, they say, say, well, I want to find out about that. Let's go to that planet, because it said there was a wee reference to that in those files that we read there, or, or whatever it is, or some, a little rumour that one of the NPCs told them or something. Yeah. Yeah, you can plant these little seeds and, and yeah, you can call it railroading if you like, but I don't think it is because it, you're giving the players options and they don't have to follow up on them if they don't want to, but they feel good about it if they do and then you create the mission for them. It feels like they're driving the story, which is exactly how it should feel. Yeah, it's part of the fun. I think a lot of this comes from experience as well. Like once you run your first kind of mission as such, you'll get a feel for how your players react with it and you'll improve as you go on, basically. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think as well that if you're an experienced GM already in other systems, all that experience counts. It is important. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one last thing I nearly forgot. Um, George did ask us about maps. So have you got any advice about creating maps, Chris? Um, there's a whole load of things out there on Google Images, whether it's video game maps. I keep referring back to the Alien Isolation, but there's so many maps on that that you could use. And there's game guides out there that kind of show the the maps out there. And it's in a same, similar kind of style to the, the book, which is handy. So yeah, I've used those for a while. And again, I edit a lot of my stuff and, or create my own as well. So there's a few different programs out there that you can use. Just now I'm using Affinity Designer, not sponsored or anything like that to say that but it's basically no we can no sponsorship in this podcast if you're listening <laughs> affinity designer <laughs> um, drop me a line i used to use adobe illustrator because i had access to it through through my work but it's too expensive for someone just to buy it's a subscription service now and it's like up at like 30 odd pounds a month so Affinity Designer is basically like a one-off payment thing that I found, and it's like a, a really good alternative. It's almost identical. But anyway, it's basically a, a graphics program where you can draw boxes and circles and <laughs> things like that and create all of your maps. That's basically what I use. But there are, obviously, there's, there's free versions of these softwares out there that are that get varying reviews online. So just do a wee search, and they're relatively simple to use. Just kind of point and click drawing boxes as i said and then if you're artistic enough you can maybe add some embellishment to them but for the purposes of of an rpg you don't need anything too crazy so yeah that's that's what i use to create my maps but when it comes to designing them and again it comes down to your mission and things what you've got in mind for it just now i'm 
I'm working on a cinematic for you guys to play. Um, we're going to be recording that as well at some point. And I'm at that stage just now, creating the maps. But again, I find inspiration online quite a lot. I found some like kind of drawings of colonies and things like Hadley's Hope and just taking elements from that, trying to piece together what this this situation's going to look like and then create buildings from that and just try and work it out in your head what's, what it would be like inside. Yeah, I'm excited about that. <laughs> Sounds fun, yeah. <laughs> so there's... Yeah, it's hard to say how to go about designing a map. Obviously, you want some a lot of exploration in there or maybe you don't want any exploration maybe it's quite a linear thing that you're trying to do it comes down to the pacing as well with your game are you wanting a, a fast quick mission that's going to be over in a session or is it going to be something that you're planning to go over three or four like that i know we've spoke about the, the space station i've designed in the past with all the different levels that you didn't even bother looking at <laughs> get over it class <laughs> i can't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so try and, again, yeah, it comes down to the pace and how much exploration do you want them to do? Put in a lot more rooms if you're wanting them to have, if you're wanting this to go over a few sessions. And corridors that lead nowhere, they'll have to double back, like a block a block in their path, something like that. They'll have to try and find a way around. Talking about the thing where we bypassed you, I mean, you, you could have really blocked us off. You could have, you know, had the lifts would only go into a certain floor or they, they was you know, locked, you know, sealed bulkhead doors. Yeah. So you, you can force the players to go a certain path if that's what you want to do. I'd leave options in there for them to explore about as they, as they want so it doesn't feel so like they're, you know, a rat in a maze and, and there's only one way through the maze. I'd, yeah. I prefer not to have that. And I, I know you don't do that either, so I'm not suggesting you will. No. But... Yeah, definitely. Another thing as well is, like, you can put, if you want to encourage them to explore more, you can have objects that they can find or things useful to their mission, uh, such as tools or weapons, things like that. Drop some of them into some key rooms that you think they're maybe going to need to go to or they'll maybe want to. Again, you need to try and anticipate what your players are going to do because there were, like in that session we're talking about there with the station, there were rooms and things like that where I had put items that would have greatly helped our, our mission and they didn't even bother looking <laughs> and me being the way I am <laughs> didn't tell them about them so yeah just decided <laughs> well if that's the way you're going to go then fine like go the hard way you know what I mean so let, let your players decide where they want to go and what they want to do but when it comes to the putting objects and things like that in yeah put some things in there that might help them like things we, we mentioned earlier Gordon about the putting things that help them in encounters into the environment, like intercoms or pipes, things like that. Have have that kind of planned into your maps as well. And I would maybe add just in the, the map building section, something that I actually did last week, because, again, this is something we're going to do in future weeks, where obviously we've talked a lot about campaign design, and we're going to put this into practice. I've already started creating settings now for a campaign, which I'm going to run as part of my GM for hire service that I do, but I'm going to put up the settings, the, the three settings, just share it. They'll be on my, my website, but we'll be talking about all this. So I'll have the colonists setting uh, space truckers and the colonial marines, but specifically the colonists. I know you've seen the map, uh, Chris, but the colony, I've, I've set it in a particular world. And I've, what I did there for the map, if you like, there's, there's a kind of map of 
the kind of immediate area, a couple of miles around where the base is, is located that put this map together. And all that was was, was Google Images. Yeah, yeah. I went in Google Images and looked for looked for a certain continent it was I was actually <laughs> looking at. And I was copying and pasting sections from that and I pieced them together to make this particular document. So there's about seven or eight pastes on this one image. Yeah. And so you can use things from the real world, you know, you Less so the cities, I suppose. I think our cities might look a bit different to what the cities would look like in England. Yeah. But... but there's there's a whole other concept art and things that you can show your players out there. Just again, Google's your friend, use it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I definitely think for terrain, if it's aerial views, use the, the Google, is it satellite they call it or something? I can't remember. Yeah, Google, it. Uh, Google Earth. Yeah, the satellite image where it's kind of looking top down yeah. and you've got like a an actual photograph of what the, the ground looks like from above. Those are really handy. Yeah. And all you need to do is screen grab them. And I'm sure Google will be coming after me for saying this. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do it quite a lot, actually. It's, I find it really handy. Yeah. Again, talking about Google, if your maps aren't too artistic or maybe a, a little bit more basic, just squares and rectangles and things like that, use images as well to describe the rooms. Maybe show your if you can find an image of like a, a hospital setting or something like that, a sci-fi hospital, show that and say this is the room you're in. And again, pictures speaks a thousand words. Yeah, I mean, you, you designed the maps. I did mention this in a previous one again, sorry. But you designed the maps for the Red Wing and I yeah, went on yeah. and did Google searches on all the all the locations from the Nostromo and I said, right, this room looks like that and that room looks like that. And you basically gave the thumbs up or thumbs down depending yeah. on what I was up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you can... As a player, you can do that if you want to get into micromanaging your, your home base, if you like. Yeah, let, let your players get involved in it as well. Like, if it's their dorm room or something like that on a space station, let them kind of describe what it's like. And, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to get them involved. Let them customise it. Customise it, yeah. Putting posters up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, whenever you can grab images and maps, the internet's your friend. It's so much easier now than when I was a kid. You had to sit and draw these things yourself because uh, there was no internet, there was no printers. <laughs> there was printers in the world back when everything was black and white. Yeah, well, I did have a black <laughs> and white telly at one point, uh, my first portable telly. Okay, granddad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to watch the snooker in black and white, which was great fun. As you can <laughs> that was confusing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's saying a bit about my age. <laughs> So, yeah, that was when the first computers were out. Home computers were, I remember getting the VIC-20, Commodore VIC-20. So, it was, yeah. yeah. We didn't have a printer for years. It was a long time before I had a printer in the house. No, nah, I, I remember those days as well, Gordon. I'm not that young. Back in when I was a kid, like, when we were playing Dungeons and Dragons, like, me and my brother, it was graph paper that we used. And yeah, we were the same. Just a ruler and pen. Go for it. And But with modern technology, like, you can do that on a computer now. Yeah. It depends on what you're doing. If like hand drawn maps will be fine as well if you're like sitting around a table. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this in the year twenty forty when we're finally out of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean it's a, it's it's always nice for players if they see that the GM's got a handout for them. I always think that's a good thing if they can. Yeah, totally. Not always possible, but uh, try and find images wherever you can in maps and but yeah, there's obviously you've mentioned about different software that you can use. I think as well, yeah. for Alien, if you're designing the, the maps from scratch using software, you know, just like you said, simple circles and rectangles, they, they can still look nice without having 
particularly much detail on them. Yeah, like a lot. Of, I know I say I've, I designed a lot of my maps. A lot of them are well, very simple. They're just boxes and things like that on on the map, like just rectangles and red squares here and there to signify certain things. Yeah, and we use the token tool, I think both of us, don't we, for the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you find some images of... Well, the, the players, hopefully, you'll ask your players for images of their characters anyway. I always create tokens for them straight off, and then you just get pictures of the alien and or whatever it is from the stills that you can source easily from Google, create a few tokens, and, and they're off, they're ready to go. So the token side of things relatively simple. Yeah. It's just getting used to how you use that in the first instance, but it's, it's actually... Once you know how to do it, it's, it's really easy. Yeah. And then you just apply your maps to Roll20 or, is it, I think, Fantasy Ground is the other one it's called that I've heard people talking about, which is said is good as well. Yeah, there's there's quite a few out there now, I think. There's, on the, the Facebook group, they, they mention quite a few different ones. Can't remember the names of them at the moment, but um, yeah, there's quite a few out there. I'm sure if you, again, do a wee quick search, yep. you'll find whatever you need. Nice. So... Yeah, George, I think, I hope, <laughs> hope that's been a, a good answer for you. It's, it's, uh, and we haven't melted your brain too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't just droned on too much. <laughs> hope you liked that. And I was also asked on Reddit by Liam54, uh, who said, I'm coming from 5e and PF2e, where moving in five feet increments is a norm. I'm having trouble conceptualizing how zone-based movement will impact combat. Can you discuss how this movement impacts the experience of playing a combat? And is there anything a new GM should consider when prepping for zone-based combat? Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good question. The Alien RPG, it's not as kind of number-crunching as some of the, the other systems out there. You mentioned about five five feet increments being the norm. Like, that's not really tracked as much. The movement aspect of it, it's a little bit different in the Alien RPG because they use the, the they call it stealth mode. Basically, when if on your map you know there's an alien in this room or it's an event somewhere in this room, the stealth mode will begin and basically there'll be a series of mobility rolls and observation rolls to see who detects who first, basically, or if the alien starts stalking the players, that'll be kind of tracked through that. And again, it's up to the kind of GM to determine when the alien's going to jump out or when they're going to get attacked. Or if it gets spotted by maybe the players have a really good observation role and they hear something moving behind them. That's kind of when the, the combat will start as such. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different in that respect. I suppose the one thing it might be helpful to mention is what we mean by a zone. Ah, yeah, that would help. <laughs> My understanding is that a, a zone is a room or a section of corridor, so yeah, you can move fairly quickly because you can move two zones if you're running. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're not in what they call the stealth mode, and again, this is up to the GM to kind of keep track of. Say there's there are no enemies around, the players can move up to two zones in a in a movement. But if you're in the stealth mode, or comes right back down into one zone again, I believe. I might need to fact check that on the on the rules, but I think that's the way it goes. So yeah, it's pacing kind of changes depending on if there's an enemy there or not, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then it, once you get into the actual combat itself, once that's you've been engaged at that stage, you've kind of got to do a. I think you've got to do a stunt to get out of the combat. Is that right? Yeah, if, like you can't immediately run it's just like any other kind of combat system like you can't run away from like a an engaged kind of fight situation it's the same in 
some other board games and things like that. You can't just run away from a fight. You either need to like push them back or, or, or kill, kill them. them. I suppose. Yeah, if that's possible. <laughs> or incapacitate them. Yeah, basically knock them back away from you out of engaged range. And it tells you in the rule book like the different ranged categories. I've got the GM screen, the actual one for the game here. And it's got the range categories on there. Um, engaged, which is basically right next to you. Short, which is a few metres away, but in the same zone. So it could be the other end of a room, the opposite end of a corridor, something like that. Medium range, which is an adjacent zone, so in the next room, the next section of corridor down the way. And then it goes up to like long, which is like 100 metres, four zones away, up to an extreme. Yeah, I would say that the one thing about that is that in practice, most of the time, you're not going to be any more than what medium? Uh, probably not. Because so much of the action takes place in, in spaceships and space stations and colony buildings. It's always in situ- most of the action in Alien tends to take place inside. Yeah. And in these kind of cramped conditions so that the movement, you know, once you're engaged it, or once you're kind of close, you, you don't have to worry too much about the various ranges, I don't think, because yeah. you are, it's usually fairly close range, close, close quarters combat. Well, that, that's when it comes into close combat. But if it's ranged shooting, for example, that has a, a bearing on things basically gives different modifiers to your shot and things like that as well but yeah but what i mean by that is that you're likely to only be firing it either in this, the same room yeah or in the adjacent corridor or so on because you're limited by what you can actually see your line of sight exactly yeah yeah it's not in an open environment yeah i mean i think it, it'd be an interesting thing to do is actually have a battle outside in the open where, where you could see something coming from distance that, that would yeah totally change the the way the game works <laughs> yeah i mean i think it'd be quite good for if you were doing colonial marines were arriving down on a surface and there was a a seed you know like a kind of hive or something and they were you know approaching it and the, the aliens came out of them and started charging them you know on mass that would be a completely different <laughs> take on it and i think it'd be interesting once in a while but again it's that thing of what you were talking about earlier on where once you've done something like that where have you got to go with the system because it's to keep it interesting and different yeah i did find it quite hard to get my head around the the stealth mode kind of mechanic when i first started doing it but once we started playing it a couple of times i kind of realized that it is quite abstract you're not going to be tracking every footstep you make as a, a player or a character. It kind of it's a lot more quicker paced, where you you are just moving to the next room or moving out a door into the next next section of the map. Yeah, and it's the same when it comes to combat. Like when if you are unfortunate enough to face a xenomorph, you'll find out that they do have multiple activations in a combat round as well and things like that. So maybe running isn't your best option. <laughs> Yeah, you just want to, you just pray that you draw the best initiative and preferably most of the team draw initiative before the alien acts because that's the best chance you've got of survival if everybody can take it down quickly before it gets a chance. But in practice, that doesn't really happen. I don't know if we were just really unfortunate a lot of the time, but um, yeah, well, we were because it was there was no cheating going on because you, you picked from the deck and it wasn't like you know you were you were uh, rigging the deck against us we could all pick whatever card we liked um so it's just yeah exactly we're just quite unlucky a few times totally, yeah <laughs> yeah like i said it's it is quite abstract when it comes to the combat so use your if you're a gm use your kind of your storytelling about what the, what the creature does when it comes to attack you if you're in the same zone as an enemy basically it's going to move into engaged range on its combat 
And again, each creature's kind of different what you'll be facing. Some of them have got different attacks. Some of them will be able to run across two zones and immediately engage you. So it's just use your words <laughs> <laughs> and try not to rely too much on the rules. Yeah, just try and make it as fun as as you can for the players. And I know some GMs might not agree with me and some players certainly wouldn't agree with me because there's some players that are very rule-centric. But for me, the rules are a need for the game they're not the be all and end all so if you want to overrule the rules in some way to make it work better for what you're doing then i would always say just do what you feel is the best way to do it yeah if it works for you then that's all that matters if it works for you it should work for the team and um on the whole if you're if you're doing anything that's messing about with rules it's usually for the benefit of the players rather than the other way around it's not yeah i can't think of a situation where a gm would suddenly go oh well i'll just change the, the rule there because it will make it more deadly against the players it's usually the opposite it's usually to try and save them so exactly players probably won't complain too much if you <laughs> if you're fudging a role <laughs> for example yeah i mean i touched on that about dialing it back a little bit i mean i've done i've done that in the past with the xenomorphs there was a a, a session we done where you guys were all facing multiple of them and I decided to take away their second activation just because, like, yeah, they're deadly, but when there's three or four of them at once, it's just totally overwhelming. So, and if you don't want everyone to die on that session, then yeah, it's up to you to kind of dial it back a little bit. But yeah, zones, it's just, it's just a way of saying a room or a corridor and like movement like that's not tracked at all, not in feet and meters and things like that. I suppose the, the way I would think about it would be probably ten feet, which is if 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 you're think if thinking about it in those terms, mm-hmm. is two of your your increments that you would normally use. I'd say most zones are probably about ten feet, roughly ten to twenty feet, maybe mm-hmm. depending on the size of, of your room or whatever. But in general terms, I would say it's that. So I mean, just try to think of it in that yeah that way. I suppose if that helps at all, maybe it doesn't. I'm sorry <laughs> if it doesn't, Liam. <laughs> so maybe your imperial measurements, Gordon. <laughs> yeah is there anything else you want to add to that Chris or it's, it is hard to get your head around um, coming from those other systems where it is more tracked but like I said once you've maybe done it a couple of times and just try and keep it abstract and describe things that are happening rather than relying on the rules to tell you what's happening I think that's the best way to think about it and Liam might end up encountering the same problem I had which was when I went back to doing a system that had a lot of crunch I was used to being abstract because um, I was running Star Wars, which is similarly not too bogged down in measurements and so on, other than for, for weapon ranges and so on. So yeah, I found it quite tricky when I went back to doing Games Workshop Judge Dread when it was when it was suddenly into everything what you had to describe. You do this action and then you do that action and that. How many steps you took? <laughs> I, we, we were used to we, when I was running Star Wars you would combine actions you would say I'm running I'm shooting I'm doing this I'm doing that and that's how your turn would work which which worked a bit smoother that's how the actions come in this system as well you've got a slow and a fast action so and generally your slow actions are all your kind of combat type things throwing weapons crawling like shooting things like that and your fast actions like running and getting up drawing your weapon grapple attacks and things so yeah that's that kind of those actions kind of dictate the combat a little bit as well because you can run across like four zones and then fight someone mm-hmm. um, that kind of controls the pacing of it as well for you a little bit it was certainly I, th- I think the combats that we had when we played alien 
went fairly smoothly. I think they worked quite well. So I'm hoping once Liam's tried that a couple of times, you'll probably find that, you know, quite intuitive and not have too many problems. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope so, Liam. So yeah, I hope that's been of some help to you. And uh, yeah, well, we'll wrap it up there then, Chris. Yep, I'll do me. I'm choking for a drink now. <laughs> so, <laughs> as usual, thanks everybody for all the, the support and for listening to us and asking questions. But we're happy to do more of these. If you have more questions, please, you know, just put comments beneath the wherever you see us sharing links, ask away. And we're happy to take up anything you want to discuss. We, as should be evident by now, we enjoy talking about this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we really appreciate everybody listening and, and giving us you know, really nice, kind feedback as well. Definitely, yeah. It's encouraging. Yep, definitely. So keep your questions coming. We can do more of these in the future. We will, as I say, be doing some more campaign ones at some point. I'm not sure exactly when that will be, but we do have more. I think we'll have more questions to deal with before that. And anyway, uh, thanks for joining me, Chris, as always. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Enjoy it. <laughs> so until next time, keep living the life of die. Roll credits. 